You're listening to the podcast of Canadian Serbian Sun magazine, a program about Serbia, Serbs, and Serbian culture, which is intended for people around the world. My name is Kristina Bjelic. In this episode, we'll talk about three rituals characteristic of the Serbian people, which are deeply rooted in the customs related to the social and family life of Serbs, and which have lasted throughout the centuries until modern times. The topic of today's podcast is coffee, slatko, and rakia. We will also talk to our honorary Serbian son-in-law from Montreal, Sasha Vijan, who we also know by his nickname Sali Dugokosi, a Canadian who has been married to a Serbian woman for 20 years. The turbulent history of the Serbian people has witnessed many changes in living conditions. The occupiers changed, wars were fought, borders were moved, and social systems were changed, but some customs remained unchanged. Serbs love and know how to enjoy their free time, and coffee has been an indispensable part of that enjoyment and relaxation for centuries. The ritual of drinking coffee, especially with family or friends, goes back a long way. Serbs gather at someone's home or in a cafe to socialize, and the thing they usually gather around is a cup of fragrant black coffee. Always and on every occasion, offering coffee is considered the most basic kindness of a host. The ritual begins with the act of preparation. Traditionally, black coffee was prepared, preferably freshly ground, and brewed in a jezva, a small pot with a long handle and a pouring lip designed specifically to make Turkish coffee. Serbs do call this coffee Turkish coffee, or sometimes homestyle or Serbian coffee, and it is common in all countries in the Balkans, but goes by different names. In Greece, it's called Greek coffee, in Bosnia, Bosnian coffee. In Turkey, it's prepared a little differently. The ground coffee is placed in the jezva together with the water at the beginning, while in Serbia, the coffee is added only after the water comes to a boil. But in the end, the taste is essentially the same. Not so long ago, in the home, the ritual would begin by grinding the coffee. It was ground by hand while talking to the guests. If a larger amount of coffee had to be ground, the process would be long and tedious, so the mill would go from person to person, and often people also offer to help. The most beautiful scent of freshly ground beans would spread throughout the room, and the conversation flowed easily and relaxed in that environment. The mill, made of brass alloy, was usually decorated with beautiful engravings. Then came electric coffee grinders, and today, most people buy ground coffee in the supermarket. Modular Home Editions Incorporated. Grow your home in three days. For a free estimate, call 416-759-4663 or visit www.modular.ca. When someone in Serbia is invited over for a coffee, it means much more than just drinking a hot beverage. Drinking coffee can take hours. Coffee is poured from the jezva and more is often brewed. It often grows into all-day socializing. The way the coffee is served is also part of the old ritual. Previously, coffee was served mainly in a filjan, small coffee cups without handles, which are so small that it's necessary to constantly refill coffee from the jezva, and in Bosnia, the custom remains to this day. Ratluk, or Turkish delight, was traditionally served with the coffee, which is rarely included nowadays in Serbia. Instead, the ratluk has been replaced by biscuits or cookies. It remains a custom to serve something sweet with a bitter drink. Not only do Serbs socialize and relax over coffee, but they also make deals or solve problems during this ritual. Coffee is always drunk slowly, enjoying every sip, but it's drunk hot, and there are few people who like it when it cools down completely. When that happens, it's time to brew a fresh pot. 
During in-home visits, which often last a long time, more than one cup of coffee is brewed for guests. There are different names for each cup, such as dochekusha, the one that receives the guests, razgovorusha, the chatty cup, the one brewed after the first one has been finished, and sikterusha, the get-out-of-here cup, the one that's brewed at the end of the visit and provokes the most laughter and jokes at the expense of the host, who supposedly uses this badly prepared coffee as a hint for the guests to go home. Reading a coffee cup, a type of fortune-telling that interprets the images created by the coffee sediment at the bottom of the cup, is an old custom and is mostly practiced in more intimate female company. In order to foretell someone's destiny from the grinds, the cup should be turned upside down, but it's not appropriate to do this if you're a guest in someone's home or if you're at a cafe. Usually, girls and women do this for fun, and most often, none of them know how to interpret the images, but even pretending among friends is part of the fun. Coffee in Serbia also meant having a cigarette, which is still very common today, but there are more and more people who have quit smoking and there are fewer and fewer public places where smoking is permitted. Although espresso and instant coffee are becoming more and more popular in Serbia, especially among younger people, good old Turkish coffee still persists, perhaps precisely because of the rituals associated with drinking it. Visitors to Serbia or to a Serbian household usually do not like the coffee that Serbs drink with so much pleasure. They say it's either too strong for them, or too acidic, or too thick. They're used to filtered coffee or espresso, to which they usually add milk, which does not go in Turkish coffee due to the thick sediment that collects at the bottom. In Serbia, filtered coffee is not popular, especially among true coffee lovers, who think that it's too diluted and that it lost its natural aroma through the filtration process. Serbs who live in the diaspora always bring a jazva with them during the move, which turned out to be really necessary because, until recently, one couldn't find it on the North American continent. Often in the first years of immigrant life, after returning from vacation in Serbia, they bring back their favorite coffee. With all the changes that life in a new country brings, they're not ready to change the way they rest and relax. Today, it's easy to find Serbian products in Canada, and a person gets used to new things as well, so they start drinking that commercially filtered coffee. When that happens, the reasons they give for that are the same as for drinking Turkish coffee. It's in order to enjoy good company, and Serbs are good at that. We're talking about coffee with Sasha Vijan, a Canadian who became a Serbian son-in-law and who knows, respects, and follows Serbian customs. Sale, you love what we call domaća kafa, or homestyle coffee. Tell us how you discovered it. I didn't really drink coffee before I started traveling to Serbia. In the home care clinic where I work with nurses and other health professionals, I used to be well known for having a corner of my office reserved for brewing all sorts of tea. I was promoting health and relaxation for overworked people dealing with patients who have difficult problems. And tea is an easy sell in such a milieu. Back in those days, I couldn't understand the addiction to batch-produced and filtered coffee or the desiccated crystals of instant. But then, with my marriage to a Belgrade girl and the many trips to Serbia that followed, I came across the Ottoman contribution to the history of coffee culture. One afternoon, my father-in-law brought out a solid metal coffee grinder and proceeded to demonstrate how the finest grind and the conical shape of the Jezva coffee pot combined to produce the best frothy brew. I had never encountered an odor, flavor, and texture such as this, and I was hooked immediately. 
Adding to the charm is the presentation. Depending on which former Republic of Yugoslavia we happen to be in. I remember being served a coffee in Macedonia, which was accompanied by a small glass of sparkling water, a piece of Turkish delight, and the jezva with the extra half cup keeping hot inside. All of this presented on a gilded platter. The only thing missing was a shot of plum brandy, but we'll save that subject for another time. To me, the custom revealed the possibility of an inner state divorced from the usual troubles, relaxed to a different way of understanding the passage of time. Whenever I make this coffee, the odor awakens in me a reminder of why I fell in love with Serbia and its history. Many years have passed since that first coffee-making lesson, which readies me for marriage, so goes a Serbian saying, and I can count on one hand the number of times I've skipped my morning domaća kafe. It's the only coffee I'll ever drink. I love the honesty of it, the proximity between the taste buds and the coffee bean, especially at the end when I can chew on some of the grounds. Unfiltered, without any obstacle, direct and to the point. All other coffee traditions fail this test for me. It's odd enough, I'm sure you'll agree, that a Canadian boy winds up making his daily brew this way. But the Turkish coffee tradition, through its connection to so many people across all of the lands the Ottomans ever controlled or traded with, produced another surprise for me. A reflection of the beauty of my own multicultural city. It happened one day at work, picture 16 cubicles, when I was making my coffee on a hot plate under my desk. From seven meters away, the physiotherapist on our team, a lovely Azerbaijani fellow from Iran, who was attracted by the smell, came over with a look of intense curiosity. When he saw my operation, he became nostalgic to the point of tears and then explained how it reminded him of his university days in Tehran in the late 70s. He remembered that the students from Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey made their coffee the exact same way in the dormitories. Now in all of my travels, I have never been further east than Dimitrovgrad in southeastern Serbia. And yet, here I was in Montreal, practicing a custom I learned in Serbia and, through the propitious combination of the sense of smell with the random distribution of Canadian diversity, stimulating the nostalgia of a man from halfway around our planet. It's odd enough, I'm sure you'll agree, that a Canadian boy winds up making his daily brew this but the Turk and the things that Serbs held onto across that long, arduous, and yet affirming odyssey. And I came to the conclusion that, by discovering Serbia's heritage the way I have, I also benefit and inherit all of it as a son-in-law of Serbia, and ultimately cherish these cultural treasures. But given the way I make my coffee, I find myself faced with a legitimate and possibly troubling question. Am I, myself, slowly becoming a Serb? Subscribe for print or digital editions of Sun Magazine. With your subscription, you will help promote Serbian ethnic identity, culture, and traditions, as well as help develop new podcast content for our Canadian public and other listeners worldwide.
According to an old Serbian custom, when a guest comes to visit, as soon as they get comfortable and sit down, the hostess offers them slatko and a glass of water. Today, this custom has very much remained alive in the countryside, but it's somewhat less frequent in the cities. The Serbian tradition of serving slatko dates back to the end of the 19th century, when this delicate form of sweet fruit preserves first appeared at the palace court, then in diplomatic and high society circles, and finally, it became a common family tradition and became part of Serbian ritual culture. Historians think that Slatko represented the best thing a house could offer its guests, and that it was therefore the first brand of modern civil society in Serbia. Slatko is a delicacy made of cooked fruit and sugar and is served in a small glass bowl from which the guest takes one teaspoon and sips water from a glass. Usually one teaspoon is enough, but a guest can serve themselves more if they like. And the hostess usually offers more too. The guest puts the used spoon in the glass. Then the host offers them a drink, usually rakia, which is often served with munchies. Every Serbian house knew when to prepare and when to serve a certain slatko. There is a historical account that attests to how slatko was cooked in a household in niche in the middle of the last century. First, slatko made from young walnuts was cooked. It was prepared in small quantities and served only to special guests. After that, slatko made from strawberries was cooked in larger quantities because there were a lot of strawberries and it was easier to prepare. After strawberries, it was rainier cherries, and that slatko, which is also called chilibarsko or amber slatko, was served to guests only if it succeeded in attaining an amber color. Only small quantities were to be had, and it was saved for especially esteemed guests and for the slava or patron saint dame. When apricots were in season, slatko was prepared from smaller apricots, and then slatko from sour cherries, which were plentiful, and which the family helped themselves to every morning with coffee. A special treat were plums stuffed with walnut halves. This type of slatko was given as a gift when going to someone else's slava. Slatko made from blackberries, or gypsy slatko as it was known, was prepared in larger quantities and was served for frequent guests and servants. The most favored delicacy in the end was slatko made from quince with walnuts, and that was served only on very special occasions. Slatko is so popular in Serbia that in the Serbian city of Kraljevo, there is an unusual museum dedicated to it, the Slatko Museum. There is a well-known anecdote related to the Croatian painter Vlaho Bukovac, who came to Serbia to paint a portrait of Queen Natalie. He was served Slatko from a large crystal bowl. Uninformed about Serbian customs and not wanting to insult the queen, he took one teaspoon after another, and when he was already drenched in sweat from so much sugar, the queen, with a laugh, warned him not to eat too much slatko because it might make him sick. Evich Construction LTD is a specialized construction company for all types of construction and renovation works. Thanks to the many years of experience of our team of masters and the use of the highest quality materials, we're able to provide top quality services with affordable prices and strict compliance with deadlines. Call us at 416-769-1431 or visit our website www.evichconstruction.com. One of the most popular alcoholic beverages, not only among Serbs, but across the entire Balkan region, is rakia, a strong drink similar to brandy. It's not known for sure when the Serbs started making rakia, but the tradition is very old and is a significant part of Serbian culture. Fruits that thrive best in Serbia are used for its production. Plums, apricots, apples, pears, grapes, quinces, figs, raspberries, blackberries. 
Often the fruit is mixed with herbs, honey, or walnuts to improve the taste and quality. In olden days, raki was distilled in boilers made of baked clay, and the lid was also made of clay with a wooden tube attached so that the steam could be extracted without cooling the liquid. It is assumed that even then, the process of making and tasting rakia created an atmosphere conducive to the emergence of many customs related to this drink. Back then, just like today, friends and neighbors gathered around the still to help, and of course, to taste and evaluate the quality of the rakia. The distilling of rakia is itself a special ritual. At the beginning of autumn, people gather around the still where everything buzzes with laughter, noise, and merriment, so the stills are called merry machines. In this spot, there was always talk about all kinds of adventure, anecdotes were retold, experiences were shared. In a word, a tradition was created that continues today. In 2007, Serbian Plum Rakia was finally trademarked as a Serbian brand. It can be purchased anywhere in the world so that Serbs living abroad no longer have to carry it well packed in a suitcase when returning home from vacation in their homeland. However, they still do this in large numbers because they say that there's nothing better than homegrown quinces, plums, pears, and grapes. Fruit that somebody close to us grew in their yard, distilled into a rakia, and saved for us when we came to visit, just to satisfy our craving. In the Serbian household, guests, after the obligatory slatko, are offered rakia, accompanied by munchies. Many restaurants still offer rakia as an aperitif before a meal. For, as we know, Serbia is rakia country. Mald rakia, popularly known as shumadiski chai or shumadia tea, is a special winter tradition. During the cold winter days, plum rakia is heated in a pot with caramelized sugar and is very popular among Serbian people. There are many customs and rituals related to this traditional Serbian drink, but the most amusing is when the Serbian people drink rakia. They drink it just before a meal and it's believed that a glass or two opens up the appetite. It is served with munchies, it is also drunk during meals, is drunk after a meal with coffee or dessert like a cognac, and of course, it's also taken as medicine. Yes, Serbian folk medicine also recommends rakia as a cure-all, but given the high percentage of alcohol, one should be very careful with the amount. If consumed in small quantities, it can help with stomach pain after a heavy and fatty meal. It will instantly relieve a toothache if a small amount is swished briefly in the mouth. Combined with a few drops of bee propolis, rakia will help with any bacterial throat infection. It can be rubbed onto a sore and stiff back, or into arthritic joints, or if you have poor circulation. It is an old Serbian custom to pour a libation of alcohol for the soul of the deceased, and usually rakia is served when somebody dies. With a sad sigh, it is said, may the soul rest in peace, and a bit of rakia is poured onto the grave. If the deceased is mentioned in a kafana, or local pub, the same is done, only the rakia is poured under the table. Serbian writer Momo Kapur probably best explained what rakia really means to Serbs. In the novel Ivana, he writes, Up until then, he had tried all the world's drinks, but not in one did he manage to find enough intensity or special taste. Only within a few moments after a sip slid caressingly along the palate, ignited the insides. The scent of his distant little land that was celebrated in the world for its courage, the taste of its fruits, its sun and its shed tears, a drink that simultaneously evokes endless sorrow, fury and belligerence. Subscribe for print or digital editions of Sun Magazine.
With your subscription, you will help promote Serbian ethnic identity, culture, and traditions, as well as help develop new podcast content for our Canadian public and other listeners worldwide. We're talking about Serbian customs related to Rakia and its use with Sasha Vijon. Saleh, give us your take on Rakia. What is your experience with this part of our culture? In every home I have ever visited in Serbia, the host keeps a recycled wine bottle filled with plum brandy or brandy from some other fruit in the freezer. There is almost always a personal story behind it, usually that it was made by someone's grandfather or uncle. Its contents were measured at approximately 50% alcohol, or when the glass is under your nose, doesn't smell like a chemical the way vodka does. Instead, it's fragrant with the fruit from which it was fermented and distilled. But not just any fruit I have learned. The various fruits that grow in the hillside orchards of the Balkans are far from ordinary. They're of exceptional quality owing to the unique climate, characteristics, and history of the region. When processed with methods that have remained unchanged for centuries, exceptional rakia is the result. These practices were handed down from father to son and have endured as an essential part of the culture of the land. They've withstood plagues, foreign invasions, long occupations, and the social upheavals of repeated warfare. Tyrants and hardships have come and gone, but Rakia has outlived them all. There have been only two occasions in my life when I have suffered the worst effects of overindulgence. Both of these episodes occurred in different years at my father-in-law's weekend home in the hills south of Belgrade. Chatting for hours with family, I innocently sipped and smelled innocuously of apricots, feeling the sly potion slide down my throat with such velvety texture as to obscure its strength. Both incidents resulted in the same two-hour struggle to drag my dehydrated carcass out of bed the next morning, thinking the whole while that I might die. But death passed me by, and there was not the slightest trace of a hangover headache either. The elixir, of which I was a willing victim, was decanted from an old bottle labeled in elegant Cyrillic handwriting as Kaisiach, which is apricot brandy. It was crafted by our neighbor, a refugee from Knin, who, as they say with a local expression, knows the knowledge. What an apt phrase for this man of so many rustic talents. Every year he produces what is still the gold standard by which I assess any distilled spirits. And since I can't blame my ignorance for the second, almost dying, episode, let it be known that his rakia can seduce the same man twice. I don't mind boasting that I've become somewhat of a connoisseur. My personal collection includes rakia made from apricots, plums, apples, grapes, pears, wild pears, quinces, cherries, raspberries, and my favorite from the Banat region, mulberries. Almost all of these were concocted by the same people who gave them to me, and they are treasures that I share with our Yugoslav guests. But what is it, this substance, that it can slip so smoothly over the tongue and subtly blur the line between life's joys and sorrows. 
What is this aromatic deception that first teases the mind with the scent of late summer harvests in Shumadia and then eases the burden of the less favorable aspects of consciousness? I wonder if there is hidden behind the rural belief in rakia as medicine, a metaphor for the soothing of the Serbian soul. One thing became clear to me. This liquid gold was something special and deserved proper consideration for its use. So I've adopted the habit on Saturday mornings of pairing my Turkish-style Serbian coffee with a choice shot of rakia from my precious trove. Taken together, these two cherished flavors induce in me a sweet reminiscence of the times I've spent in the countryside just north of Kosma. This combination triggers precisely the relaxation my weekend needs. You know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. You are listening to the podcast of Canadian Serbian Sun magazine about Serbs and Serbian culture around the world. Join us for future episodes where the Sun magazine team will continue to introduce you to the traditions and culture of the Serbian people. Until next time... Greetings from the editorial staff at Sun Magazine. The creation of this podcast was financially supported by the Government of Canada.